Hey, and you know, we, uh, uh, there's several leaders in the class. We met the other night, and, and I just want to remind you a little bit about this class, that what we're trying to do in here, that we have four core values, and I try to, I don't do it every month, but to try to recast them the first of the month, that we really have four core values in here. One is that we would have Bible study that transforms us, not simply informs us. That's kind of the goal here. We try to work on application. How is this going to work? We're, we're not interested in Bible study that just informs, but, but Bible study that transforms our life. Number two is friendship. And that's what Beth is working with, her, she and her team, that uh, you would not go to a, a big church, and it, this is a pretty big church, and just uh, look at the back of people's necks. You know, that, that's what some people call fellowship. That's called a sanctuary. You know, you're kind of looking at the back of somebody's neck. So, so friendship uh, the opportunity to, to really connect with people and develop some friendships. And that's right. I, uh, w there have been some wonderful friendships that have been developed. Uh, third is prayer support. And, you know, as we pray around the tables, uh, if you have a prayer request you want to get to me or anybody has got their own the, the handout there, we'll put that on the prayer list or we'll keep it private. You just let us know and you'll have some prayer support about things you may be facing or the future or life, so like that. And then lastly is some sort of outreach or or the ability to care and help people. Uh, one way we do that is every year we go to Seaworth uh, Academy here. It's a, a special academy and we paint and work and do things. We do some other things. We've moved people and we've got a few people we'd like to move. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we, we've moved people because uh, they didn't have anybody to help them and, and guys in the Sunday school class showed up. And, and uh, But I have a back problem in case you're thinking, so uh, I'm out. Uh, I told some of the day when we moved up here, I didn't ask you to help me when I moved because I don't want you to ask me, okay? Uh, but we've done that. Uh, and and, and some, this uh, container that's going around is an attempt that sometimes when people may have needs like electricity or, or other things like that, that we have some uh, funds and ability to do that. So those are really our four values. Bible study that transforms, friendship that enriches our life, prayer support that goes with us through life, and some outreach mission. So that's what we're trying to do in here. And so uh, we'll talk some more about that in the future. All right. Well, good morning. We're in John chapter 10. Turn the page. Oh, y'all. Just a bunch of smart Alex. No. <laughs> Doug. Yeah. John chapter 10. In my Bible, it's 1008. It's where the gospel of John begins. But we're going to be looking today at John chapter 10. Now, uh, this uh, study we've been in is sort of these conversations that Jesus uh, gets in uh, through uh, his own activity or sometimes uh, just through the experiences of life. And we, we've titled this kind of Conversations with Jesus. And this will be one that uh, we'll look at here of, uh, again in the Gospel of John. And, and, and the, the kind of the, the main idea today, as you may know, that John chapter 10 is, is directly linked to 9. Not just in terms it follows it, but the event uh, is fairly clear to me, at least if you will, that what's occurred in John chapter 9 anticipates or creates uh, this particular thing. And, and it's particularly this. Uh, here's kind of the topic. When you are put out. Now, growing up in East Texas, that could have a couple of different meanings, okay? Somebody say, man, I'm just put out with you. But what we're going to be looking at is how this uh, conversation of these statements that Jesus makes occur... Uh, part uh, essentially uh, because of the man who has been healed, who was born blind, has now been put out of the synagogue. He's been put out. You can see that back in chapter 9. And so they put him out, verse 34. They had threatened anyone that was a follower of Jesus or had any inclination to Jesus that if they believed in him or did anything, they would put them out of the synagogue. 
In other words, excommunicate them. Outside, if you will, the community of faith and in their thinking outside the bounds of salvation that uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders owned salvation. And so this guy has been put out. It is not just simply he's just got a little problem here of having some of his friends. This guy's been put out, if you will, of the circumference or the realm of salvation in, in the Jewish leaders' minds at least. And so it made me think about this as I'm working through this about what do you do when this happens, when, when you're put out. It made me re think of, I remember when I was a kid growing up in Texas, we used to have a camp uh, every summer in Kerrville, Texas in the hill country. It was beautiful. Uh, we would uh, go there every year. And uh, back then, uh, there weren't malls. This was a long time ago. <laughs> no internet. And uh, it was a pretty big deal uh, in our tradition, the Church of God. A lot of people went. There were sometimes in excess of a 1,000 people there. And uh, we as kids liked to go. We, we met friends. I've still got friends to this day. In fact, one of the guys in my department, Marvin Middlebrooks, was my camp counselor when I was in that camp. We have some interesting conversations. <laughs> I wasn't that good of a camper. And, uh, uh, but we would go there, and uh, uh, it was a wonderful time. We really wanted to go. We, we met friends. And uh, I met some guys there, a guy named Herschel. I won't say his last name because he's still alive, and he might be hearing this. But we, uh, at the camp, we discovered that there was a place in town that had a lake in Kerrville, and they had uh, this spillway and this thing that you could slide down and have fun. And most people called it a dam, but we were Church of God kids. <laughs> I'm serious as a heart attack here now. <laughs> because a couple times we would talk about the guy that was there that had a truck, and we, it came out wrong. <laughs> Just think. for <laughs> So in order to go to that thing, we called it the obstruction. <laughs> and we... We would say, we're going to go to the obstruction. Now, Herschel, my friend, had an Oldsmobile 442, which was a hot ride. And we liked to go to the obstruction with Herschel. And I remember because we got to meet some local girls. You know, those are the girls like when I was a kid that danced and drank and chewed. <laughs> because we used to say, we don't run with them that dance, drink, or chew or go with the girls who do. You know, so... Uh, we. That's where those girls were, and uh, we wanted to meet them. And, uh, <laughs> and then we could repent that night at the service. <laughs> but Herschel would go, and he would load that car. I'm I, I, I don't even want to remember how many were in that car. But there was one count one time where there were 14 of us in that car, and a head and back, and the counselors found out about that, and they weren't happy. And Herschel got kicked out that year. And uh, we were pretty sad because our ride was messed up. Uh, we were pretty bummed out about that. You know, the next year he came back, and we sort of did the same thing. And he got kicked out again. <laughs> and uh, we were slow learners. And uh, I remember, though, uh, Herschel, and he lives in another state now. But I remember uh, that after being kicked out of camp a couple of times, Herschel seemed to move in another direction. I don't ever remember seeing Herschel going to church ever again. Uh, I don't ever remember him participating in anything we ever did. He sort of went another way. And when he got put out, uh, it was a fairly significant matter. Uh, he wasn't uh, around. I, I know where he lives now, but uh, he never has uh, seemed to have much interest in the things of God. Kind of the way that he'd been treated. Well, you know, this guy in John chapter 9 has been put out. 
and uh, excommunicated, if you will, uh, from the community of faith. And it looks like that what is occurring now is that Jesus is attempting to answer that problem and deal with that issue. And this is a great, a great passage. It's dealing with the events that have transpired of a man who's been born blind and then put out of the synagogue, outside the community of faith, excommunicated, if you will, of the shepherds of Israel. Now, the, the, the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders, the priests and the Levites and those are often referred to as shepherds. And so I want to kind of jump in here and start at chapter 10, verse 1, like this. So Jesus saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know His voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from Him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which He'd been saying. I, I, I love this. I, I sort of smile when I see this. So Jesus said to them again... <laughs> You know, it's sort of like you didn't get it, you didn't understand it, so let me be clear here, okay? Aren't you glad Jesus is like that? That uh, when you don't get it the first time, He's willing to do that? So I want to look here at a couple of things about a person who's been put out, if you will, under this kind of idea of some general statements about being put out. About being put out. Jesus says in general, He starts in, as I see it, I'll just tell you from verses 1 to 5, some general statements to a person and to people who've been put out about uh, how a shepherd and the sheep are. But then he gets very specific. We'll look at this today. 7 to 18 about some specific matters. So Jesus begins this general statements about being put out. First of all, the door. Notice what he says. I say to you, he who enters the door of the sheepfold, but climbs in another way is a thief. Now, let's look here for a second. I've got a couple of pictures for you, I think. This is a, 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 an actual uh, little pen-like thing that would be out in the uh, uh, pasture land and area of Israel and Galilee and places like that. And you'll notice that when they get out there, you know, they don't always go home that evening back to the, to the home, that this uh, little area here, these stones are sort of uh, gathered up like this, and there's an opening here that uh, in Greek would be called the thura or the door. It's not necessarily, it, it could be in some cases like that, but when Jesus is talking about that He's the door, the shepherd would typically sleep right there at that entrance with those sheep, and He becomes, if you will, the door. So, so Jesus is saying here, uh, if you will, uh, whoever does not enter by the door into the fold but climbs over is a thief. We'll look at that. Here's another uh, rendering of this, uh, of, a, of a sheep, if you will, kind of pen where the shepherd would be there, uh, to uh, make certain that they're uh, cared for and inside. And Jesus is interesting here making a statement about, if you will, the door, the entrance, the access. How do you get in? And in this particular case, how do you get in and get out? It's interesting to me that this man who's been put out, Jesus is now talking about who it is and how they get in and out. So he's saying this is a, a typical uh, matter, if you will, 
that the, whoever climbs over is a thief and a robber. Then he says, but the one who enters by the door is the shepherd. I think I've got one other one here. The shepherd. <clears throat> this idea of a shepherd. This, this one. Uh, interesting, he says here some things about shepherds. Notice what he says. The shepherd enters by the door, where he is sometimes considered the door. It's kind of a double entendre here. That he is not only the door, but he enters that way. doesn't climb over uh, the wall. Uh, the gatekeeper, or someone open it, hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep and leads them. And when he puts forth his own sheep, they go ahead of him. He follow, they follow him. It's interesting to me here, Jesus uses a couple of words here when he says about the shepherd. And I'll just show you a picture here. This is a picture of a shepherd who is out there leading the sheep. And you'll notice uh, they're following along. And there is this statement that Jesus makes when he says, He leads them, his own sheep, by name, and he leads them out. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but and I did, you know, I've done some research over time, that uh, shepherds would name their sheep. You know, I don't know, you know, a knucklehead or, a, you know, the one that's always running around or the one that's, you know, kind of timid. They would call him sheepish. I know. I'm sorry. Sorry. It's bad. I know. I know. Yeah. Yes. There's some talk out here among the table, but those don't look a whole lot like sheep. There, some of them are sheep and some of them are goats. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> yeah. 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 I'm just... We're, this is the great day of reckoning someday when this little guy split out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, I didn't realize I had so many agriculturally astute people here. Okay, just stay with me here, because Jesus said there will be the separation of the sheep and the goats. Okay, but there's some sheep and goats in here that that are that are following. He, he's turning around talking to them. They they know their name or he knows their name. They, it says the sheep know his voice. Now that's fascinating. The she, he knows their name, and he know they know his voice. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll come back to this later, but I grew up in Texas, and I grew up in an area which is, it's interestingly enough, San Angelo, Texas, I'll talk about this later, that is not only a place where there were huge cattle drives, but there are also huge sheep herds. And uh, I'll talk to you about that a bit. But, but this idea about the shepherd leads them. And notice where he says, the shepherd, he leads them out. And that, that's leading. You know, when I think of moving animals, I think of driving them. Kind of like cattle. You know, can you see Jesus on a horse with a whip? You know, yeah, you know. <laughs> that, that's, I'm going to just tell you that, that is sort of the mentality of, a, of Americans maybe. We don't have much knowledge of sheep and shepherds. And so, it's interesting here when he talks about that this, this person, this shepherd leads them. He, he doesn't drive them. He, he's out in front. We're going to look at some more specific things about Jesus. But leading. I've, I've often, when I've talked to people, when they say to me that they think that God is wanting them to do something, I'll sometimes ask this question. This is my own journey and what I understand about Scripture. But I will say to people, if it's God, He will lead you not drive you. Think about that for a second. He'll lead you, not drive you. This idea of drivenness, this sometimes this idea of compulsiveness, of compulsion, of I have to do this, I have to do it now. Generally, I just tell you everything in me that I, over the years as I've tried to follow Jesus, I sort of stall right there and say, wait a minute. This shepherd that I know, that I'm learning to know, 
leads. I'm not saying there isn't at times when there's some need to you know, hurry up and, and do something. But I've talked to people over the years that it seems to me that the notion of their understanding of God is more driver, more cattle driver, more of the idea of just get the herd to the place instead of leading them out, of, of having Him in front of us to say, follow me, follow me. That's the thing. And uh, in, in, in the sheep know His voice. One of the great New Testament scholars, uh, W. Nicole Robert, or Robertson Nicole, uh, told the story of a Scottish shepherd who went to Israel uh, and uh, wanted to find out, you know, what was it like, because he was a shepherd in, uh, in Scotland. He uh, went to this shepherd and asked if he could borrow his clothes and his hat. And he dressed up with all of the clothing of the shepherd and decided, I'm going to go out and see if these sheep will follow me. Fascinating thing happened. He went out there. They didn't follow him. Nicole Robertson makes this statement. He says, they don't follow the shepherd's clothes. They follow the shepherd's voice. They hear it. They understand it. So this general kind of thing Jesus is saying that there's a, a pen or a, or a way in through the sheepfold here through the door and there's a shepherd that people, the sheep hear his voice, he leads them out, they know his voice. Now that raises a question for me, it raises a question for me and I've, I've talked, you know, been in ministry for enough times if you will uh, to wonder about this when he says the sheep know my voice. I, I, I read another story after World War II where a Turkish um, a shepherd had brought his sheep and they all came to town with some other shepherds and they put all their sheep in a pen. Just mixed them all up. Now you know in Texas what you got to get them out is you got to brand them. You know, you got to know which one is yours. What was fascinating was that whenever all those sheep were all conglomerated together in there, when that shepherd got ready to leave, he called out and those sheep separated themselves and followed him. Isn't that a marvelous picture there? You know, I... Uh, uh, that this relationship of if, if you're one of these guys like this guy, you've been put out to say, but wait a minute, I, I, know, the, I know the shepherd's voice. It raises the question for me, uh, and I've had this question all my life or at times in ministry, how do you know it's God? <laughs> Anybody ever ask that question? You have an impression or an idea, something you think, and uh, how do you know it's the Lord? How do you know it's the shepherd? I, I'll give you a couple of ideas here that I've over the years I would say that whenever we think we've heard the voice or an impression, and I'm always nervous, I sometimes will say to people, you know, don't say God told you to do this and God told you to do that. Be careful with that. I know people that make me think, you know, when they buy a hamburger that God told them, right? Anybody? And I've, and I've been guilty. I've, you know, I've been guilty before of, of thinking that. But, but, you know, if we're His sheep and He's our shepherd, shouldn't we be expecting at some point to be able to hear Him and know His voice? Here's how I've learned to do it. One is, whenever I hear something or sense something, does it line up what I know about Jesus from the Bible? Does it line up? I hear people say things that we ought to do and ought not to do, and, have to, and often I will say, that just doesn't sound like Jesus to me. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I, he's a complicated guy. I understand that. But, but does it sound like the person you know to be Jesus? You know, and, and, and that's a struggle for us, isn't it, sometimes? Second, at times, uh, does, do we understand that this lines up with what we know from the Bible, obviously, about Jesus? A at times, do we have to ask ourselves, is, is there any scriptural basis here for what I'm hearing or what I'm sensing? Being careful. 
At times, I think we hear his voice. It says an inward voice. I, I, we go in this room, and there are people that say, you know what, Cliff? I believe at one point in my life that I was going through this and going through that, and the Lord said something to me. And, and I believe that happens. Do you? Do you, think, do you think God cares enough about you to speak to you? And cares enough about you to say, now, again, we've got to be careful, you know? We've got to be careful. We want to be alert. Does it sound like Jesus? Does it line up with what we know about Scripture? I would say at times that there's a, at times that we hear the voice of Jesus in community with other believers, when we're around other people that sort of help us to, to check and fact check. I love the Quakers. They used to, to get together and they would have a meeting to what they call get the sense. You ever heard that? To get the sense. That has a couple of meanings to me. But to get the sense where they would sit around and talk and consider what is it that we think that Jesus may be saying to us. How might He be leading us? But it says right here, the sheep know His voice. The, the sheep. So what Jesus apparently says here in this, they didn't get it. Notice here verse 6, this figure speaks, they did not understand. I guess, what, they're being general? Saying that, oh, no, this is for you, He's saying. So let's, let's look at this specific matter here. Jesus' specific statements about being put out. He just flat out says it here. I'm the door. I'm the door. Notice what he says. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door. Now I told you before, this I am statement uh, throughout the book of John, it occurs seven times. That I am is the Greek version of Yahweh. It's the word Yahweh, Vayahi, or Hayah, the, the Hebrew term for God. That's why when they heard this, they were ready to kill him. Because when he said, Ego, Amy, I am the good shepherd. Well, look at that. Notice what he says. I'm the good shepherd. I am, I'm sorry, I am the door of the sheep. What does he mean? We saw that. That's how you get in the fold. That's how you're part of the community. That's how you get into the pen, if you will. And he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. You know, when I read that, I thought, Now, what is Jesus saying here? When he's saying, I'm the door. In other words, I'm the way you get access. I'm the way that you get in. I'm the way that you are able to participate in the people of God or the plan and work of the kingdom of God in salvation. What does he mean here? Does he mean that, that everybody in the world, everybody in the world was a liar and a thief? He said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Who's he talking about? Is he saying everybody that came, was everybody wrong? I want to suggest to you that Jesus is saying something here in context to say, all of those who came before me claiming to be the door are liars and robbers. Now, who's claimed that in our story before? Who said, we're the way in and we're the way out? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. Those guys had said to the guy that had been healed, born blind, hey, we can put you in or we can put you out. It doesn't matter to us, whichever one. I think that Jesus is referring specifically not to other people or other leaders or other people of other uh, part of the world, but simply saying there are people who have come and say, we're the way you get in. We're the access. We're the door. We're the way, and Jesus saying, all of those who've come before me, that's not true. They're not the way. They're not the door. They're not the entrance. Uh, there is a, a, a couple of examples. In 72 B.C., 
a guy named Judah, which there were lots of them, uh, declared himself to be a Messiah. Uh, the Romans didn't take that very well, and uh, they eradicated him and all of his followers. But he came saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one, I'm the way in to the door. In 4 B.C., Menahem uh, also told of people and said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one, I'm the one that gets you in the kingdom, I'm the Messiah. Obviously, Jesus knows they weren't. I got another question for us, though. Jesus said, I'm the door. Nobody else is. I wrote in my notes when I was thinking about this, I said, sometimes in my life, maybe it's been this way. I've, at times, you know, just had to be careful, to think that there were preachers or teachers or leaders who were the door for me. Anybody ever done that? I, wrote my, I said, uh, sometimes I've been a preacher follower or a teacher follower or I thought someone else was the key or the answer to getting in, to get into, you know, the deep things of God, right? Like, you know, you can be around these guys, but here this guy or this lady teacher is going to be the one that really gets you in. We can be that way, can't we? Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm it. There is no other door. I'm the way you get access. I said to Becky one time, I said, you know, as I've watched my life, hopefully I'm getting smarter as I get older, or I just forget stuff and then repeat it, you know. That I said, there have been times when I've settled for the approval and the access to a group instead of the approval and access that Jesus offers. Anybody done that but me? Where I've been willing to say, if I could get access or approval or entrance into this group or into this particular strata or this particular level, that's where I want to spend my effort. And I said to Becky, there have been times, Becky, I know when I've settled for the approval of people over the approval of God. That's a terrible thing to do. But we do it, don't we? Because we, I, I, I guess, I think there are other ways to get in this fold. Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the way in. Notice what he says. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, now let's look here. This, he, he's access. What? He's access to being part of the sheepfold and he's access to life. He's the door to life. I've said to my students before this, I often will ask a behavioral science majors this question. I think that sin probably makes us crazy. I mean nuts. For instance, think about it like this, what Jesus said. In this corner, let's make it a prize fight. You know? In this corner is someone who is committed to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his program. That's what the thief comes to do. And Jesus will refer to him later as the devil himself. This is what he comes to do. This is his program. Steal, kill. In this corner is the one who said, I have come that you might have life. Does that look like a hard decision? <laughs> How crazy does it make us to think, well... You know, I better not get too serious about Jesus here. I, I better, you know, I better retain, retain some, some control here. Instead of understanding that Jesus said, look, th th there's two things here. There's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come, I've come, that you might have life. So Jesus is the door access, if you will, into life.
Now, I'll hurry on this because I've said it before. You know, this word here, life, that Jesus said, I'm the door to life. I'm the door to life. When I read this years ago when it said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, you, you probably read like this like I did too, that, that Jesus just came to make life better, right? That's why I read it. You know, trees will be prettier and, you know, the, the sky will be bluer. And, and it wasn't true, <laughs> you know. And life will be wonderful. Man, I, tell you, I started having real problems when I started following Jesus. Anybody? <laughs> you know, life wasn't all that wonderful. It's tough. This word, life, zoe, is a term that is never used for what we call physical life. The word there is bios. Everybody's got that. And the fascinating thing about the New Testament and the Bible is this. That according to the Bible, your problem and my problem is not that we're bad. Your problem and my problem isn't, isn't that, that we're bad and we're sinful. and we're, you know, We can get there too in a minute, but you know, th that's not the real problem. The real problem is we're dead. We're dead. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Now remember, in the Bible, death is never the cessation of existence. Death is never the cessation of existence. Even when the Bible talks about hell, the second death, people are still awake. People are still alive. Death is always represented as separation from the source of life. Separation. That's why the prodigal son, when he came back, his father said, this son of mine was dead. What do you mean? He didn't mean he was dead like he was down in a ditch somewhere. He meant he was separated from us in relationship. Death is never the idea of ceasing to exist. Death is the notion of being separated from the source and power of life that Jesus comes to bring. That's why I've said, and I've just quoted some, you know, that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Our problem is much more fundamental than doing bad things. It's much worse than cussing and lying and stealing and chewing and dancing and, you know, going to those girls who do. And, <laughs> right? Our, our problem is much more fundamental than that. We're not the source of our own life. And this is what the thief and the destroyer tries to do is to say, you can produce your own life. You have all you need. If you just run it the way you want to, you can run your own life. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I am the door. I'm access to life. I tell you, when I learned that some 30 years ago, it radically changed my life. I don't ask Jesus for help. I don't ask Jesus for strength. I ask Him for life. I ask Him for life. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave, loves me and gave Himself for me. Do you understand that about this shepherd? This shepherd's the door to life. Not to religion. Not to rules. Not to a bunch of regulations. Not trying harder. He's the door to life. And life that you don't have. And life that I don't have. That, that's why Jesus said this crazy thing to Nicodemus in 3. You have to be reformed. Remember that? 
Y'all are thinking I'm having a brain aneurysm right now. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. He goes, what? I have to what? Yeah, you have to be born again. Listen, this shepherd is bringing something so foundationally necessary. It won't, the, the bonds of religion can't handle it. There's too much to it. This idea of life, I have come that you might have life. I've told you the story when I was in seminary. I'd been in ministry for 10 years and been ordained, for, or, or, been, been uh, back, carry the two. I told you I have trouble with math. I'll get back with you. Uh, okay, here we go. I'd been in the ministry for 12 years, and I had been ordained for eight. And I'm in my second year of seminary and read John Wesley's great statement that salvation is the life of God in the soul of man. And I sat in a little 1978 blue Toyota Corolla outside the East Stanley Jones School of, of Missions, and said to myself, I don't know that there's anybody in here but me. I don't know that there's anybody in here but me. I mean, I've tried. I've disciplined myself. I've tried to be good. I've tried to follow you. I've tried to, to, to read and study and memorize. And I did all that. But I wasn't sure there was anybody in here but me. And I've told you, that's the question I ask people now. Not are you religious. Not do you go to church. Not are you trying hard to live a good life. Not are your, are your moral standards being upheld by your own ability. But is there anybody in there but you? I've said that. I'm not going to stop any longer. But Jesus said, I'm the door to life. Listen, these... I'm going to use the word, these religious knuckleheads that have just thrown you out. They can throw you out of the building, but I'm the one who has life. Don't get confused here, buddy. Don't get confused with all the accoutrements and trappings of religion. That doesn't have life. I'm the one who's got life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door to this. If you want life, you got to come through me. And all those who claim, if you'll do this, I, I don't want to be ugly here, but I, you know, it makes me think as I've grown up in the church a long time, I think there are people that will tell you that there are four steps to spiritual maturity. Just four? <laughs> right? Oh, there's seven ways to overcome a mastering sin. Only seven? There's 17 lessons here. If you'll take them, you'll be a person of power. You know what? Again, that's not the door. Those may be good people. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. He's the one that says, I'll open it up and you'll go in and out and you'll be saved and find pasture. Because I'm the door. Nobody else. Oh my goodness. So I want to ask you something. Again, are you, are, are we, let, let, me, let me put us, let me put me in this boat because I, you know, I live the same way you do. Are you looking for life somewhere else? I mean, it could be religious stuff. 
It could be, it could be you're looking for life by, well, I'm going to start going to church more often. That's not a bad thing. Or I'm looking, I'm going to read the Bible more. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> or I'm going to pray. Good. But that, those are not the door. Jesus is the door. I tell my students, you ever notice this? Quit praying for patience, you're never going to get it. <laughs> right? Why? Because you don't need patience. Or, or quit praying for strength and power. You don't need strength and power. You see, what you and I need is Jesus. God only has one answer for us. And it's the door. You see, you're, we're out here thinking if we'll pray more and read more and do all these kind of things. That's okay. We'll, 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 be, we'll have access to that kind of life. And what we don't understand is that, wait a minute, that reading of the Bible ought to convince us that we need Jesus or that prayer time ought to convince us of our utter inability, right? He's the door. So you don't need strength. You need Jesus. You don't need patience. You need Jesus. You don't need power. You need Jesus. And I mean, when I say you, I mean me. You don't need encouragement. You need Jesus. You, it, it, he has one answer for us. So that you would have life. Would you like that? Listen, religion can be the outer husk. And that's all it is. It's just the shell. I'm not against religion. I'm not, not being ugly here, but unkind. But Jesus said, I'm the door. What is it? I'm the door of how you get in. These guys can't put you out. You're in my sheepfold. I'm the door. The sheep come in through me. And I'm the door to life. I'm the door to life. Now, if you've been like me and been a Christian long enough, this gets a little jumbled up. And I think that the answer to life is more Bible study. Again, I'm not against it. Or other things. I just want you to think for a minute. Are you looking for life somewhere else? Religious things. Good things. Commendable things. Instead of Jesus. And you say, well, Cliff, that's a no-brainer. I mean, I believe in... I, I know, I know, I know. I believe in Jesus. I trust Him. I'm trying to follow Him. I, I, I get that. But there is this terrible tendency. And, and I'll just write it up here for you and we'll, and we'll be done. There's the means. We talked a little bit about this last week. And there's the goal. The goal for all that we do is that we might have life in Jesus. That we might experience His life on a day-to-day -day basis. The means might be Bible study and prayer and fellowship and all those matters that we participate in. They're great. But if you stop here and I stop here, then we ended with the means and not the goal. This happens all the time in life. It, it occurs, in, especially I, I've seen it in religious circles, where we get hung up or stop here instead of saying, what is the goal of this? The goal of this is for the life and presence of Jesus to be in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Right? Like I go to work to provide for Becky and to care for her so she can get a new lawnmower and all the things she needs. I'm a gentleman. I am not. I'm not an ogre. But you know what? There have been times when concentrating on the means of going to work and providing made me spend so much time. I didn't spend time with her. We didn't talk. 
We didn't discuss life. We, we, didn't, we didn't get into detail. I, I was all hung up on the means. Well, Beck, I've got to provide for us. I've got to do this. So same thing in our Christian life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. I'm the door. I'm the door. Does that make sense? Think about this. Are you, am I, understanding that the way in is in Jesus? And the way in, the door, is for life. Not just religious practices, but life. I want you to bow your head just for a second. We're going to pray and get out of here. You, uh, you may be hearing the shepherd's voice. Something rattling around there. Not the kind of voice that's condemning or harsh or driving. But the kind of voice that says, you know, I am the door. I'm not only the way in to the fold. I'm your life. I'm your life. You don't need other things. You need me. And so I'm going to pray for us, for me as well. Lord Jesus, how is it that we uh, get so confused with the means and the goal? How is it that we can be so motivated to do the right things that in the process we fail to realize that it's you that we need? I know that almost sounds so elementary. I don't even know if I'd get up and go to church to hear this. And yet I know that there are hearts and souls in here today who are hearing from you. And I'm hearing from you. This tendency we have to forget that you're the door in, you're the way in, no one else. And that when we're in, you are here to give us life. So I pray, Jesus, that you will correct us in our thinking, in our actions this week. That we will look to none other that we will focus our heart and mind on you. Grant us grace and grant us mercy that we fail not God nor thee. Help us to live our lives reliant, trusting in the power of life that you have. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. We'll pick up He's the Good Shepherd next week.